and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I am Natasha Mascarenas and I am joined by the one and only Alex Wilhelm. Alex, how are you? You know, I knew this week was going to be like standing in the middle of a sandstorm while not wearing clothes and it's been roughly that and I feel fine actually. I feel like I've gotten through the hard bits and life's good now. I think this is growth because in the past, I think we would have defined our value as being like busy, productive people, killing it on traffic. And right now we're doing all those things, but we're kind of like tired. So I think it's growth and we are expanding our definition of success. Natasha just described (laughs) getting older uh, and and called it growth, (laughs) which I think is perfectly fine. It's reasonable. Um, But I I will say I am slightly less tired this YC demo day because there were strictly fewer companies. It was less of a uh, marathon and more of a two thirds marathon, if you will. Yes. I'll be honest. It this was the reason I was more excited than usual to cover YC Demo Day this year. It had about about 240 companies, which is around 40% less than the winter 2022 batch. So I think there was a little bit more signal in this batch, as well as like what I would say is like a perfect storm of other factors. It was the second batch to get a uh, bigger check from YC. Yes. They recently expanded their deal to 500K. Um, and it was the first back in person or back primarily in person uh, with uh, around like 60 to 70% of founders being in the Bay Area for the three month accelerator. So I was really excited to see like what happens when you have all these factors? What ki- what do founders choose to work on? Well, and the answer was a great host of things as always. We're going to talk a little bit about um, favorites and uh, and that down the road. But I will say that there were not only one robot company that I was very excited about. There were two. And frankly, it's hard to get uh, too sad when there's so many cool robots out there because nothing makes me happier than the eventual future in which I don't have to do anything. Bring on the robots. Oh, my God. <laughs> Totally. We we introduced a story I like theme this year, which is the biggest moonshots in the batch, because I think there's something specifically inspiring and like, oh, my God, about launching a robotics company during a time where a lot of investors are looking for more stable, predictable bets, or at least say they are. So um, I think what you're saying right now, Alex, is like a perfect example of a moonshot. Any startup that kind of dared to dream this batch naturally stood out to me. No shade to the SaaS companies, of course. I mean, look, SaaS is, is, is stable and a little bit dull, but it also makes a lot of money. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Natasha, let's go through a couple of numbers to ground people. If you don't know, Y Combinator is an American startup accelerator, very well known, has uh, helped seed and fund um, a great number of companies out there in the world. I think YC said at the start that they have something like 80 unicorns now or startups worth a billion dollars or more in their portfolio. So um, successful and a bit of a trendsetter, if you will. And so Mm -hmm. we pay attention to their data. Where are they investing? In whom are they investing? Exactly. So I think I want to start with a little bit of like their diversity of the batch, because that is truly the first thing I go to whenever we get the the memo from YC. Um, first, I look at how many startups are based outside of the US. For people who have been following YC, it's an American accelerator, but it's been having more and more of a global reach over time. The past few batches, um, around 50%, if not more, were they kept beating their record for those based outside the US. And so it was becoming this international accelerator this year, along with becoming a more kind of narrow and exclusive accelerator. We also saw a drop in how many startups were based outside the United States. So in summer 2022, 42% of startups were based outside the US, down from 50% the prior prior batch. Um, India still unsurprisingly led, and and we'll get into more later, but that was kind of the first diversity-focused metric. Um, And then I want to talk about demographics and gender. So so, so 9% of YC's summer 2022 batch founders identify as women, which is down from 10% the batch prior. I I want to pause there because 
I think that is something that deserves its own weight, is a drop 1% in the amount of women founders in Demo Day. And we didn't even see all the women founders present at Demo Day because at times their male co-founders presented on behalf of them, a choice still. Yes. And uh, uh, of the companies uh, in the batch, 15% had a woman co-founder. Uh, and that was down from just under uh, 18% in the prior cohort. So another change there. And 7% of the companies had a black founder down from 8%. Um, there were four companies, again, uh, that were founded by black women, same number as last year. And 12% of the companies had at least one uh, Latina or Latino founder in them that was down from 13%. So across the board, as they uh, it fewer companies, the stats that were going up for a while took a bit of a, a, a kind of a downturn, if you will. Yeah. It really answered some of the questions we, as, as TC had a team going into this demo day, which is like, how does a downturn infect, or infect? In fact, <laughs> it can infect, in fact, or it's an infect an infection, <laughs> but yeah, I hear you. How does a downturn impact the types of founders who are making, who are getting investment and, and the kinds of ideas we're seeing? And so this obviously answers the types of founders. Dom and I had a piece about how basically it's unsurprising because during a downturn, diverse founders are the first to be impacted um, as people either revert to form or look for 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 bets in categories that I guess are more proven out. And unfortunately due to venture capital, and I think that people are listening, they understand the historical sexism there. Um, and so that was definitely disheartening to see, to see it proved out. Um, and I do want to spend a second talking about something new about the way that YC tracks diversity, which is uh, the multiracial uh, category. Did you, did you see this, Alex? I did. I did. Uh, 8% of founders in this batch chose to identify as multiracial. Yeah. And I think that was like a really, as, as, as YC put it, like kind of an overdue option, right? Like someone being able to identify as multiracial. That said, it makes it a lot harder for us to now track if YC is getting better at investing in, say, black founders over time, because someone who does identify as black probably isn't being double counted in both categories. So I just want to like add that asterisk as it was a step forward in a lot of ways, but I think a complicated one. And, and I would love to see in the gender front too. We, we, I didn't see any of that sort of fluidity being expressed in the way they track gender. Yeah. Um, so essentially the way that I view it is it's a good category to add, helps us understand who's building these companies, who are the founders of tomorrow. They're going to build the unicorns that we all talk about down the road when they go public. And also it does make it harder in the near term to kind of figure out what that means. So a, a, a plus in terms of the right move and a negative in terms of I'm a selfish reporter and I would like to have all the numbers very more granularly uh, shown to me. But you get some, you lose some. Um, Natasha, shall we talk more about geography? Yes, let's talk about geography. As I said before, there was like kind of this interesting dance between YC still wanting to show up as a remote accelerator and the fact that about 30% of founders moved to the Bay Area during the batch and 23% were already in the Bay Area. So so Alex, you wrote a piece looking at kind of where YC is startup hunting. I love the headline. Tell us about how how that what you kind of learned with with what I just said in mind, like this remote focus. Well, one thing, the first thing that stood out to me was the Bay Area is not dead. If you read just VC Twitter, there's kind of an oversampling of uh, Miami-based VCs who like to crow about how the center of startup gravity has moved to a sinking city uh, in the American South, when in reality, it's actually on an earthquake-prone city uh, on the American West. And that would be San Francisco and the broader Bay Area. Uh, not surprised. That is YC's historic home. The old demo days were right down there in the Bay Area. And right. you know, it's it's been still kind of the nexus or heart of the global startup community. So that makes sense to me. And, and Gary Tan, the new CEO and president, did say in my interview with him, he wants that to continue to be the truth. So just a data point where we might see more of a Bay Area 
outward Bay Area perception going forward from YC. Yeah. And if you don't understand why that might make a lot of sense, given the changes to office culture in the pandemic and so forth, it's actually cheaper than it has been in a long time to build a company in San Francisco because real estate's <laughs> way more available. Back during the peak, finding office space was, was a Ooh. problem. Like just finding enough space to put your people. Less of an issue now, but if you want to build something, it's probably cheaper to probably get space in SF than Miami. Anyways, I can almost afford an office right now. Natasha can almost afford an office. <laughs> As a 25-year-old. <laughs> thank you, Apollo Capital. Uh, no, still pay me more. I'm okay with getting paid more. Yes, I, Natasha, I can't afford enough. Always, <laughs> always deserves a raise. Um, looking around the world, though, we did see uh, fewer companies from Latin America. Uh, there were 14 compared to winter 22, the earlier batch this year, 34. Uh, there were only eight startups from Africa, down from 24. That was the number that really shocked me because yeah. we've seen actually uh, venture capital in Africa hold up better than nearly any other region in the world. So I actually was expecting to see a, a, an even greater number of African-based startups, but fewer data point. And then in totally. Europe, there were 34, not including Israel. And uh, France, Germany, and Israel were all well represented after being kind of absent in the last batch. And the UK, even post-Brexit, even with Liz Truss, and I'm not <laughs> making jokes about the queen because I was informed not to, uh, 11 startups. Wow. I mean, so like, High level, like I think you said Africa was the one where you saw you were most surprised. Yes. By like overall, does it feel like it's still a global accelerator or do you feel like it's kind of like I only know like the Indian word or the, the Hindi word for it. That What's the Hindi word for it? Like nam ke vaste. Like why not just have a few startups in these uh, in these geographies because it doesn't hurt. Like, does, uh, I guess I I'm wondering, does it feel like an afterthought or does it feel like it's still a focus for YC? You know, I'm, I'm going to say something positive about YC here and say it does not feel like an afterthought. Even okay. with these changes to the numbers in startups from different parts of the world, to me, YC is definitely a, an American-based global accelerator. And, and I don't think they're going to lose that global purview because, and this is, you know, a, a money thought, but they are an investing entity because there's so much money to be made around the world. And a lot of ideas that do find success in certain markets are applicable in other parts of the world. I mean, how much do we talk about, you know, fintech in Latin America, fintech in Africa, fintech in Southeast Asia. Um, often these are things that are proved out in one market and then taken to another. And YC is, is relatively genius at finding founders who want to pursue that kind of strategy. And I believe it rains money down from the sky. So YC is American, yes, but it does, I think, warrant the label of a globally accessible entity. Yeah, I, I completely co-sign that. Like, I think the energy it brings and the activation it can have to local ecosystems is something that's always fun to track. And so I was actually talking to Haya about this a little bit where I was like, I wonder if there's now an opportunity for local accelerators if YC does become a more Bay Area based accelerator. And we still see it have a global outreach, like you said, and in a way that feels strong, but maybe not the same level as before as as we see drops or at least shrinks in some categories. Like, is there a way for YC to play nice with local accelerators? Maybe a cool thing to see down the road. I know, I believe it was like Sequoia, that created a more kind of globally focused accelerator, not an American based one. So I, I feel like there is like a lot of like fun tailwinds to track as someone who nerds out over network effects here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I want to niche down from the, the high level to the low level. And I want to talk about some favorites because there's a lot of startups that we saw in the last couple of days um, that uh, got me excited, frankly. I mean, the best part of a demo day is you sit there, you know, drinking coffee, watching a screen while people pour their heart out and tell you about the cool stuff they're working on. And so it, it, it's, it's a very like innocent way to get excited about ideas and what's coming. And there's a lot, there's a lot that I want to talk about. So um, shall we do faves? 
Let's do favorites. Like, and so historically, just kind of walking people through TC coverage because we've changed it a bit. We pick our favorites from the from the two days of demo day, and we also do like we're now also doing moonshots on kind of like the what the hell startups. So I'd love to start with the favorites and then get to the what the hell startups. Um, Alex, what stood out to you? Oh, I'm just gonna pull from my favorites list from day one, which was yesterday. Uh, yes. The first one that I picked up was a company called Metroport. Um, they're building an API for healthcare data, or essentially a way to kind of shuttle healthcare data between different entities. And they compare themselves to Plaid, a company that we all know that kind of um, essentially helped engender the fintech revolution by allowing consumers to connect their bank accounts to other entities. Uh, and to me, I love APIs. I have a relatively firsthand look into the world of healthcare. I know how siloed the data is. I know how much more there is to be done there. So to me, big problem. Uh, a, a proven out solution in other verticals and a company that I think I'm going to be watching for some time. There were a lot of startups that were focused, I think, on making healthcare more digestible and and like kind of making it more transparent. And I, I struggle because I get really excited, but then there's always so many startups there, which not to say that this isn't the one that's going to win. I, I just think that like to keep doing it and to keep seeing waves of innovation to me makes me happy. Like people aren't giving up, even though it's clearly not something that you're like building one category leader for anytime soon. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why, and we'll get to this other company down the road, but some companies pick a specific element of a market to work with. Like if you think about AgentSync, um, which builds, builds APIs for the insurance world, and I've talked to them over the years, they started with just letting people access a particular sort of data about like real estate, sorry, um, insurance agents in the market. And they've expanded, but they started somewhere where they could actually kind of own a particular bit of data that they moved. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in companies um, in this particular space. But over to you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of in a similar world of yours, which is touching on antiquated systems and making it easier. So one startup that really stood out to me was Feather. It's co-founded by Saurabh Jain and Ahan Soni, and it wants to be a modern take on the 401k retirement account. And I was amped about this as someone who um, like cares very deeply about personal finance and is constantly thinking about like different ways, um, I don't know, to motivate people to get into it and to think about their 401ks. It, even if your company does the heavy lifting for you, it can be hard. And so I kind of like that Feather's trying to make it easier for startups to offer it to employees. Um, and they're not just betting on the fact that people maybe are thinking more about savings these days or that Gen Z is focused on their retirement accounts. They actually cited during their demo day presentation that legislation is underway that would mandate small companies to start offering uh, retirement services to employees. So I don't know, kind of like that. And and I, I am all about the savings space, apparently, I'm learning. Yes. And if you're listening to this uh, right now, either on the Twitter space that we're doing or later on on your podcast app, and you're thinking, what is a 401k? Well, America gave up on pension plans because True. corporations decided that they would rather break that social contract than maintain it. And instead, they gave us a way to essentially have a tax-advantaged savings account. And that's what a 401k is. There's other variations, but this is the most common one. And if smaller companies offered them, perhaps more people would have more savings than two nickels that they rub together. <laughs> So fair. I think like speaking of nickels, I'll share my other favorite because it's all about gold. It's a completely on the different different uh, wavelength, but it's called Guluk Money and it is based in India. Uh, Alex, I'm really curious about your thoughts on this. It's kind of felt like something I wanted on equity. So I'm glad it's here anyways. Uh, it, it's, it's trying to bring the alt investing wave into gold, but also bring in savings into the mix. So basically first it helps you create a savings framework, either through automated recurring contributions, spare change roundups. Then it invests those savings in pure gold. And then it offers folks to track their gold and land rewards when they hit specific milestones. And 
I think like in the Indian culture and a lot of cultures, like gold is looked at like that's what you get for weddings. That's what you get as like your present because that is like something that feels really, really reliable. So I thought it was kind of like a good alternative investing meets reality of 2022 startup play. Well, now I can't make fun of it because you just put it into a very reasonable cultural context and all seem insensitive. <laughs> Wait, um, what, what, did, did, it, did it sound weird for it to be in gold? <laughs> no, I'm familiar with, with different cultures and their, their approach to precious metals and even how uh, different um, gender rules around inheritance and what belongs to you and so forth, how that really matters in, in a number of uh, human cultures around the world. At the same time, um, just as I'm not particularly interested in digital gold, I'm also not that hype about physical gold. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a precious metal. It has some industrial uses. But I, I, personally, I do not wake up in the morning and, and go to work so I can buy more stuff that we dug out of the ground. It does not... It does not bake my casserole, if you will. Okay, okay, I'll take it. I think that, I mean, diversity of opinion, exactly what we like here at TechCrunch. Um, and I, I think like, I guess like to me, the the common thread between Golak Money and and Feather were that there's like more startups that are kind of still taking like the dominant fintech themes of 2021, such as like consumer focused fintech and alternative investing and then adding on a savings approach to it. So to me, that was exciting. But let's end with from about day one with kind of a hard pivot to your favorite. I don't I don't yes. even know how how to. There, there's no pivot from from alternative gold investments to fish robots. So just we're just going to go for it. Uh, my other favorite from the first day of YC Demo Day was Shinkei Systems. I forget how they pronounced it. That may be butchery. It might be Shinkei, but um, S-H-I-N-K-E-I Systems. And I was sold from the moment they said fish robot. I was oh. cheering in my home office. I was all about this. <laughs> and I have to say, I, speaking of diversity of opinion, in my humble and correct view, fish are gross and should be left alone. Ugh. And they should be left in the sea where they belong. But I mean, everyone else likes over here, so. Thank you. Finally, someone agrees <laughs> with me on this. Usually I get laughed at. Um, but the, the thing is, humans like fish, other humans, not me. And we, we fish a lot of them. And a lot of it goes to waste. And a lot of it is uh, improperly or less than perfectly processed. And this leads to, I think, more animal misery and just overfishing. So what Shinkai Systems has built is a fish robot that has a method of killing. And uh, as far as I can tell, gutting and kind of like getting wow. the fishy bits you want versus yeah. the fishy bits you don't. And it's more efficient and it leads to more revenue for um, fishermen and so forth. And cool, it can be on your boat. So the fishing robot goes on the boat. So it, it's literally an aquatic-based fish robot. I, I mean, mean, how can you say no? Okay, that actually completely like sweetens the deal. I'll be honest, I missed that detail the first time. So I was a little like, no one is bringing fish to bay and putting it through a machine. So I do love that it's a little transportable, feels pretty like mature. Um, and I think I'm, I'm kind of like remembering our robotics event from a few months prior where it was a lot of like, I think Brian, Brian said to you on equity where he was like, you know, the best robotic invention in households in households still today is like the robotic vacuum. Yeah. And so I, that to me really put it into my head that like, and the industri the industrial uh, the industrial world is where to be when you're building a like an alternative or a disruptive robotics because there's more buyers and so to me like this that that adds another vote in favor of something like this. Yeah, I, I really dig it. But let's keep moving on. Uh, day two, Natasha. One of your favorites was a company called Momentu. Yes. So it is trying to basically create corporate backed mental health support in Latin America, nice. which, which I loved. I don't think I've seen too many pitches around this recently. I think we saw more of a wave in like, I would say the first half of 2021 when it was like the benefits war on how to make your startups and startup employees stay more and more. Um, but even then a lot of the benefits I saw kind of teamed up with 
separate mental health startups that happen to have enterprises as clients. I love that it's focused on Latin America and I love that it's focused on kind of integrating between your insurance companies, uh, the company and then the employee and what they need. So I, I was really excited to see it. And I, I didn't see many mental health focused startups at all this batch. So this one definitely like woke me up a little bit. That's actually really true. Right? Because, you know, Calm and Headspace, two apps that are designed to help people access uh, meditation. So non-medical mental health care, if you will, um, had an enormous run up to the pandemic. And I have seen some data that's showing that they're, they're slowing down a little bit. But like you would think that a couple of unicorns would have drawn more, more competitors. Totally. I, I know like one thing we kind of talked about on Slack on the first day of the batch was that we saw a startup that kind of was using Alcoholics Anonymous as a portion of their pitch. And I've, I've noticed a couple of those. And so we are yes. seeing some sort of, I guess, tailwinds around building online communities to support mental health. I think those are great in their own way, but something about it being corporate helps because I'm like, yeah, like employers do some work right now. Like take care of your people. Yeah. We're working hard. So it I don't know. <laughs> If you're not aware of the uh, the mental health crisis that's hitting many parts of the human population right now around the world, it's worth looking into. It's a it's a big problem, and uh, if you're doing fine, hell yeah, I'm happy for you. But go hug some people because they're not. Hundred um, percent. Wow. And on that really positive note, let's talk about um, Hedgehog. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. That's actually an exciting one. You had fun ones this time. I was kind of jealous you got that one. Another another robot, Alex. Do you have something to tell us? Are you, are I, you leaving the public markets beat for the robotics beat? Oh, if only. Uh, <laughs> the, the sad thing is the public markets are much more uh, fast paced than the robotics space. So no, I'm going to stay where I'm at. But I do love, you know that I'm a science fiction dweeb. Yeah. So to me, robots are just inherently interesting. Anyways, Hedgehog is building robot-driven mushroom farming. And once again, the food stuff in question, not a fan. Like, oh. mushrooms are disgusting. Okay. I'm not into them. Icky, Hard to disagree, icky. but interesting. To know okay, hit, hit me with a, a good mushroom recipe. Um, okay, I have multiple, but right, one right. that people can Google as we speak is the cauliflower bolognese from Bon Appetit. They use mushroom and cauliflower and cook it down, and it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And you're going to love it when you try it. Yeah, I'm going to text I mean, Liza. It's fine. <laughs> don't text my spouse with mushroom recipes. She'll, she'll make me eat them. She's all into that healthy all stuff. All part of my plan. All okay, part of so, the plan. So if you hate mushrooms, why are you excited about a robotic mushroom? Ah, yes. Farmer? Well, it's more efficient. And that's okay. what I dig about it. So essentially, it's a way to grow fungi in a fun fashion with less cost, which is always good. And also, the company has a bit of an ecological edge to it, which is that um, it can, quote, transform agricultural waste into protein-rich foods with nearly zero environmental impact. Okay. And as a – I mean, look, I grew up – next to cows in Oregon. Like I did not grow up in a low carbon footprint environment. I grew up next to walking stakes. And so I didn't think a lot about my carbon footprint for a long time because I was an idiot. Uh, I have since grown up. And so stuff like this gives me an encouraging feeling that other people will lower their carbon footprint so I can keep eating beef. Okay, I'll take that. I think like the, the, yeah, the climate angle is really smart. And I feel like we didn't see too much from climate. I think there was 11 syrups in the total batch in the world of sustainability. Um, and so that definitely stands out. I think the other thing that I guess I want I, that I noticed about this one, I believe was that they are, they're only farming oyster mushrooms right now, which I thought was like kind of funny to me. Like so why oyster? As someone who doesn't like oysters or mushrooms and therefore probably doesn't like oyster mushrooms, what is an oyster mushroom? And is it actually an oyster on a mushroom? <laughs> it's like a flowery mushroom. It's a good meat substitute. Cause like it has like texture. I, I, I'm not a food reporter, unfortunately, so I'm not good at explaining it. But 
it's an interesting thing to note about this. This sort of been an interesting space. Um, and in some ways, it kind of feels like a moonshot. Am I right? It, it, a, a little bit. And by, by moonshot, we just mean something that is um, less likely to succeed. But if it does succeed, it has a bigger impact. It's essentially like taking a flyer on like, like a wager with your friends. That's a technology moonshot. Like, will this work? We don't know. But if it does work, it's going to be awesome. So yes. um, hypersonic flight is one of those things to me. Like, just like it gets me really excited about a, a much a step function, better society and improvement to how we get around, for example. I like that definition. I don't know if we were all on the same wavelength about the definition of moonshot, but I kind of wish that we were now because I'm like, Tim, I think I picked one that fits into it, though. Um, well, <laughs> like- it's your... So for people who don't know, Natasha took over our and led all of our YC coverage this cycle. And I was waiting for a moment to jump in and say how great she did. So <laughs> oh, thank you for that segue. Uh, <laughs> Natasha Moscarenas is a born leader and she's oh, been a delight you. to work for the last couple of days. And she has uh, very politely herded the cats, which at TechCrunch... <laughs> Usually involves like a cattle prod or something, <laughs> but she did it with uh, with a deft touch, and it was oh, it was very I well organized. It. I appreciate that. That's so nice. I think. Well, speaking of cats, because I'm gonna hard pivot from any compliments, is is that we there, there was actually a cat startup. It had a name. I think it was called Curious Cat, and of course, I don't remember off the top of my head. So bear with well, me. Well, while you look that up, I'm gonna say there was also a one medical for pets that was pitched, and I forget huh. what it was called. But that's gonna make so much money because I spend. <laughs> more money on vets than I thought was humanly possible in the last couple of years. And I do it with a smile. That's the thing. It's I, scary, I, right? Like you're yeah. like, Oh, like I won't like buy coffee, but I'll spend $400 on an emergency checkup. Is it more than $400? I feel like it is. Oh, I mean, whenever my, whenever my dogs go in to get a tooth removed, it's like several thousand dollars. Oh we just God. had a dog in the ICU for four or five days. I think I'm going to sell a kidney. Like, oh, yeah, but, no. but you know what, you know what scout has a happy mouth now oh. and Nola's home safe. So, I mean, forget it. So yeah, that company's going to clean up. Shout I mean, out to them. You're just tossing me segues because one of my moonshots, I know we should wrap up soon. One of my moonshots is a one medical type model that's being brought to OB-GYN care. It's the oh, startup's yes. name is called Almond, which I thought was a very cute name. And I, uh, I, it's, it, it was a moonshot to me because there's been so much like, so, so many hardships for D2C healthcare companies. Like, I, I feel like it's a pretty risky thing to try and build right now when you look at Hims and Roe and like a lot of the other kind of unicorns in the space. I think me and Andrew wrote a piece about how a lot of the healthcare unicorns have had to scale back as they hit the growth stage. And so I really liked the fact that Almond is trying to bring like this membership fee model to something that is very hard to get. Of course, I would love to see everything become more accessible and not need $250 per year in order to get access to something you still need insurance to pay for. But it, to me, it was like a really exciting startup to see. Is finding a good OBGYN roughly as much fun as finding a therapist or psychiatrist? I feel like it, it has to be. It might be harder. Uh, wow. It, it okay. might be harder just in terms of how many people are out there. I think obviously therapists, not that I'm, I have one. I'm very behind on that front, but uh, I, the reason I'm, I struggle with therapists is it's like, it kind of like you need to find the person you actually get along with. Yes. I think ob guys is like you have to find like, it's kind of like finding a doctor. That's hard to do too. Like I, I rarely find a doctor that I'm like, Oh, that like actually calmed me down. Oh yeah. My doctor's mean. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. My doctor, she, she's like, she's my parents age. There you go. That's why I can say that. And, uh, she has, she's, she's very humbling you. Oh yeah. Like there's no, there's no like touchy feely, the kindness. There's just a lot of like, well, you shouldn't do that. It's yeah. Like, okay. like that. And you're like, okay, well, thanks. Yeah, I was so, not going to tell you that again. So anyway, startups fix that, fix discovery along with access. I would love that. Um, and then before I, I forget, 
cat, the cat startup is called Coverage Cat. Coverage and it Cat. Is, Trying to build consumer optimized insurance, Alex. I know you're an insure tech nerd, so I feel like that made me excited for to share with you too. Yeah, and uh, I'm just gonna just quickly like 10 seconds each call it two more companies. Axel, they're doing um, more insurance data transfer. I don't know if it's via an API or not, but very interesting. Curious about that one. And then also a company called I believe it's uh, Decard, D E E K A R D. Okay. They are doing um, data quality and data ingestion fixes, which smells like data obs to me. And I care about that because I've covered a company called Monte Carlo um, that is working in the data obs space and has a very smart founder that I quite like. And so it's fun to see more startups picking at uh, different parts of the same mountain. Yes. I, I think there was a tweet out there from Ankur who said, YC is really good at betting on a lot of founders tackling the same idea, which I kind of liked. Like, I think what we've, you said this too, where it's like, we, as journalists, we view competition as like, oh my God, this is so tough. But I think a lot of founders view like overlaps with other startups is probably like affirmation in a way, or I don't know what people think about validation. Yeah, definitely. So I, I feel like I, I get that sense where it's just like a lot of people kind of are working together to make this reality true this year. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would say overall, I feel good. I had a okay. lovely time with demo day. I always enjoy these. I look forward to them and um, I always volunteer for as much as I can because I love to see what's coming up because you never know who's going to eventually become the next biggest darn thing. And so it's good to um, have an eye on companies when they're small. Oh my God. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing to watch them age so fast and become more, like some of the most valuable companies out there uh, from their one minute pitch. Um, and, and while we're on the Twitter space, I know we only have a few minutes left. So I wanted to end with a little bit of like an, an ending temperature check. And Alex, you just gave one. I think mine's somewhat similar. Pretty tired from the past two days. I, <laughs> I learned a lot about what it means to create an editorial plan. Um, and I think like in the future, the tension in this batch to me was like what I wanted to focus on and I was excited by it. I think in the future, I'm I like I want to press more on kind of like checking in on like how these startups talk to their alumni and like what micro communities are forming in YC that I don't know, that are harder to find out. And I'm being vague because I think like the one that comes to mind is the crypto side of YC. Mm. It it like has an, an orange Dow, which is like an outside organization that's banging together alumni wanting to back other crypto startups. And so I'm kind of just trying to get a better understanding of like how YC's network looks right now beyond yeah. the batches we see twice well, a year. I'll, I'll throw in one little note, and I know uh, the producers are telling us to shut up and uh, turn off, but um, I, I was told back in the day, this is back when YC was much smaller, offered much less money, and was very much a Bay Area-based thing. But like, you know, I was told stories of apartments that have been passed down from like YC company to YC company in the Bay Area that were kind of grody, and like, there was some sort of like camaraderie camp-esque feeling to it. And now it is different. It is more remote. It is more international. It is more diverse than it was. And so, yeah, I'm very curious what that looks like. What does community look like in more of a diaspora setting? Yes, exactly. Um, I'll end with our bingo board because I think we have to. Uh, we created a bingo board this time <laughs> and that felt like TC being fun. And we did have like kind of a, a fun game that I want to bring on to everyone who happens to be listening to the spaces. If you tweet at Equity Pod and at TechCrunch, your favorite startup from the batch, or just something that we missed in our coverage, um, you will be in the raffle to win a discount code for TechCrunch oh, Plus yeah. that Alex very kindly whipped up. So, so tweet at us. We'll potentially give you a code. Thank you for listening to us, reading us. We'll always and be here. Yes, we'll soon. always be here. And now we are going to go take a nap. Yes, all of that to the above. And um, you will literally hear from us. We're, we're about to record the Equity Friday in a few minutes. So Alex, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll see you in like five minutes. All right, okay. bye. <laughs>